Hello, it's Lisa Fratelli with Me, Money, and Mold. Tonight, I want to talk briefly, very briefly, about money. Um, I don't know, is anybody concerned about what's going on in the G20? And what's going to happen between our country and the tariffs in China? I am. Um, maybe you're not, but I am. And I think a lot of businesses are concerned. Um, because in spite of what you would hear on our media, our country has a lot more to lose and a lot more grief to take and to deal with because of tariffs as opposed to China. That's the, from the research that I read, almost the opposite of what you're hearing in our media. Surprise, surprise. What they're telling you, what they want you to believe, it's almost the opposite. Yeah. So, even though, you know, I've said before, the people think that the game is rigged. It's not rigged so much so, but it's not, I guess you could say, you know, it's not for the faint of heart and it's not for the little guy. And everybody kind of knows that. But here's one thing the little guy can do a lot faster than the big guy. You can get out of the way. You can go the other way and you can get out of the way faster. You can. So um, you can decide faster. Like a lot of people in finance, you know, they're like huge ships on the ocean. These companies that control trillions of dollars. Um, you know, there's, in spite of what people think, there's a lot of money that's invested in our country, in other countries. I mean, I think Fidelity controls about $7 trillion, I think. Don't quote me on that, but I'm pretty sure. They are the back office for a lot of broker-dealers. So they might not um, personally be custodians of that, but somehow, some way, they are custodians. And I don't quite know. There's so many levels and so many layers in that industry. It's confusing as all get out, even when you're in the industry, because you're a little guy. Even people in the industry, even the people that control or that manage, you know, millions of dollars, you know, like maybe your, your guy or your girl is managing $100 million or two, I don't know, whatever, half a billion. It gets to the point where billions are like, Phew, you know, what's a billion? Ah, uh, nothing. Oh, we just spent that at lunch. Um, I mean, really, you begin, you, you hear the way they talk. I mean, that Microsoft is now worth a trillion, two trillion. I don't know. I heard that the other day. I, again, don't quote me on any of this, but um, so what's the moral of the story for anybody listening? Like, so well, why are you talking about this? I don't know. I guess I'm still interested. That's what I'm saying. I'm interested 
and I'm always interested in what's going on in the world. And that's how I believe you stay, when you stay engaged in life, even if something has not turned out well, like I heard, when I stopped trading when I was sick and then I didn't go back to it for years, I mean, I've been trading recently, past, uh, I don't know, three or four months, um, People told me all of their stories. They're, uh, they're like uh, bad, you know, hard luck stories of money they lost. And it was like, it was unsolicited. I mean, I wasn't asking. They were just telling me. And every one of them kind of made me laugh. I didn't laugh at them, but I'm thinking it was all stories of money lost. And I never said it to anybody, but I thought it of every single person that told me they lost money, the amount of money. And I thought, I can top you. I didn't say that, and I didn't even intimate that that, I could have said it. I just thought, wow, that amount of money you lost and that took you out of the game? Okay, all right. So that's why I know in my gut that when I talk about this stuff, I lived it every day, no matter what anybody says, no matter, I've had people say to me, so, so guys usually, so you, you were a trader? Oh yeah, would you trade? I said, I didn't trade on the floor. and. Just saying what they said showed their stupidity because there were a lot of professional traders that didn't trade on the floor anymore either because digitization, I don't know if that's the correct word, went to the CME a long time ago. Chicago Mercantile Exchange, the CME, where they trade futures. And futures open up long before the New York Stock Exchange does. So I knew of that because I was in a futures room when I was trading. I did not trade futures, but I was in the rooms for the sole purpose of understanding the market more. Because when you understand different aspects of the market, you have, you just, I was always adding to my knowledge of what was going on in the the markets. And being in a futures room, I had some kind of uh, awareness of how the day was going to, how it was, how it was going to open up, how it was going to close is another difference, another story. But there were a lot of professional traders in that room that were no longer on the floor. They went to their computers and a lot of them didn't, didn't want to, that didn't, they, they didn't want to go to the computer computerized system. I'm not saying I could have traded on the floor. You needed to trade for a company or have a lot of money. A lot. I mean, millions. Millions. Millions was... I mean, these guys would throw around millions. each. The, a contract then, an S&P contract, one contract was 250000 I believe. Because some, a lot of people traded the E-minis. And some people I knew of traded the big contracts. They were $250,000 a contract. 
You weren't trading one contract. So, yeah. You know. <laughs> you make a mistake with, with some of that stuff here. Well, there were people during 2008, I've said it in a couple podcasts before, I didn't know them personally, but I remember the room I was in was, by, was owned by John Person, and he used to be on CNBC. He's a commodity trader, he's like a master commodity person. I forget what they called him, but he came into the room and, and talked about the people that had committed suicide during that time because they lost so much money for their firm. I guess they felt that they would never come out of it. They didn't know a way out, so they, quite a few of them, um, jumped in front of trains in Chicago. And I remember when he came into the room and said that, it was very um, eerie. Like, um, you know, people, people had the impression of traders when I'd say I was a trader, that you were either a gambler Somebody who sat in front of a computer, pushed buttons, and money came out of the computer. You were lucky. Um, I guess they never realized the amount of blood, sweat, and tears. <laughs> Work, research, study, more study, more study, went into being a trader. Um, and how long you studied before you even put your first trade on. You know, I did a lot of paper digital trading. You could do that in the platform I had, which is Thinkorswim, which is at TD Ameritrade. Um, you could put on a trade without, with um, like, you know, play money and see how, how it worked out for you. Um, so, yeah. Anyway, so this was about money and you learn a lot I learned a lot by trading I learned a lot of how other people thought of money Um, when when you are trading you I think the losses help you become sensitized you almost become desensitized because it's just numbers especially as you Um, get good at something it's like your success can almost be your downfall because not that you get complacent but sometimes you get complacent you get maybe lazy not not doing complete due diligence on your position Um, but you know you learn you learn quickly that the market, I've heard, I've heard it said by many people, is always right. Because there's no way, as much as you can do all your due diligence, there's just no way you can know all the variables out there. None. Um, that's why I got really, I got really good at becoming a spread trader. Because I was tired of especially when you're um, doing trading with options. Um, the comp really complicated things were not for me. And I got good at just doing basic vertical spreads and credit spreads. And 
calendar spreads. It's just, uh, you're limiting, you're mitigating your risk with a spread. And that's really what options are all about, is mitigating risk. Contrary to what a lot of people think of them. It's, you're mitigating a risk. And um, when you really understand them, you can really increase your returns in a portfolio with them. So, yep. Anyway, I'm hoping that whatever happened over the weekend is a good thing for both countries, not just ours. Because I remember when I was trading and I would listen to all the geopolitical stuff all the time, you know? I had CNBC on, Bloomberg, and I'd listen, and I was always by myself until my husband came home because I traded at home. And I'd be screaming at the TV. Sometimes I'd put it on. Most of the time I'd take it off after the market opened because I didn't want the distraction. And um, I always used to say, why can't everybody just hold hands and sing Kumbaya? And my husband used to laugh at me. And I said, no, no, I, I really mean that. Like, you know, there's enough for everybody. We don't need to, like, corner the market on any one particular thing here. Really, there really is enough for everybody. You realize that. There's enough for everybody. If we could all just get that through our thick skulls, we'd be all better off. Really. So on that note, if you have a question, send me an email, wq.freethewizard at gmail.com. Please pass this podcast along. It can help somebody, anybody. I don't know. It's free. And um, I hope that I shorten somebody's learning curve on the three fronts, money, health, and of course, the two um, courses I teach. Um, my website's freethewizard.com. Anyway, thanks for listening. See you next time. Bye-bye.